The American POTUS Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit show supported by listener patriots just like you. To help us keep the program going, please join others around the nation by considering a tax-deductible donation. You can make your contribution and see what exciting plans we have for new podcasts and other outreach programs at AmericanPOTUS.org. Thank you for your support, and we hope you enjoy this episode. On this episode of American POTUS, the presidential history of Thanksgiving. From Washington on, several presidents called for a day of thanks, but no specific holiday was ever locked in. So along came the mother of Thanksgiving, a determined woman who pushed one particular POTUS to make this holiday of reflection and gratitude a permanent part of our nation's calendar. Pilgrims, parades, and presidential pardons. We're giving thanks for Thanksgiving as we gobble up the presidential origins of this most delicious holiday. It's on this episode of American POTUS. I'm Scott Brunn. With the help of presidential scholar Alan Lowe, we're opening the book on the men who have held our nation's highest office. In each episode, we'll tap into our nationwide cabinet of historians, authors, experts, and others to reveal the most compelling moments from these extraordinary patriots. To help us appreciate the presidential impact on our nation's Thanksgiving Day holiday is journalist, producer, and best-selling author Denise Kiernan. She's written a couple of terrific award-winning books, The Last Castle and The Girls of Atomic City. But it's her latest that we want to gobble up. See what I did there? Gobble up. It's called We Gather Together. We will link to this title as well as her other terrific books on our AmericanPOTUS.com website. Denise, we're thrilled to welcome you to our American POTUS Thanksgiving table. Thanks for joining us. I am thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much, Denise. Before we turn to the story of Thanksgiving in America, could you tell us what you learned about other traditions of Thanksgiving throughout history? Well, one of the things that compelled me to want to write We Gather Together, which I view as a means of looking at history through the lens of giving thanks, through the lens of gratitude, was how long this practice has been around, which of course, Thanksgiving gratitude is a global concept and a timeless one at that. Uh, Rituals and rites and celebrations and harvest festivals and all sorts of other ceremonies, annual or other surrounding communities or cultures coming together to say thank you have been on the planet as long as humans have. And some of the more interesting ones were ones that kind of, you know, came out of, yeah, I used to live in Rome. I actually write about living in Rome in the book. And, you know, it was interesting to me to, to learn about, you know, Cicero in, in ancient Rome had, had written himself about uh, thanksgiving to the immortal gods uh, for their singular favor has been decreed in my name. You know, so we can talk about uh, thanksgivings for feats achieved. Uh, there were various uh, harvest festivals that were enacted all over the all over the globe. There were thanksgivings given um, during the Revolutionary War, thanksgivings decreed by Congress for particular battles won. Um, so thanksgivings have had, uh, and that word has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, thanksgivings were proclaimed by folks who were traveling to this continent and you know, landed safely. 
Thanksgivings were enacted by all sorts by government agent by government organizations by religious leaders, uh, and it often did have a religious overtone. And these these sorts of gatherings and proclamations really ran you know, really ran the gamut for just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And it's so it was so interesting to see that evolution of how humans on the planet have come together to give thanks. And then also the evolution just of the of the word Thanksgiving, which is which is quite old as as well. Well, I must say my favorite city, one of my favorite cities is Rome. And I'm a bit obsessed with ancient Rome, to be honest with you. So I really enjoyed that section of the book and, and I won't get off on that tangent. So Scott is looking at me, but it was (laughs) uh, one of the many parts I loved. The funny thing is though, I mean, the Rome aspect for me anyway, as the writer of the book, we gather together, the Rome aspect is not tangential at all because, you know, people always ask writers, why did they choose a particular topic or or why did they decide to write about a particular thing? And it's it seems like an easy question to answer. And sometimes it is, and other times it's a little bit more layered. But the one thing that's always true for me at least and most other writers that I know is you've really got to pick a topic you have a pretty strong amount of curiosity about because it's going to be in your life for a really long time. Yeah, right, sure. <laughs> and it's really got to hold, it's really got to hold your attention. And I didn't want to, you know, write a book about Thanksgiving. You know, I, I definitely wanted it to be about something see, more see. than that. Mm-hmm. So, but one of the imp- an impetus for me was how interested I became in all these different sorts of festivals, not just Thanksgiving, but harvest festivals uh, and all those sorts of things when I was living abroad in in Rome in particular. I mean, they would have festivals every year for the cherry harvest. They would have festivals, you know, depending on the town, like the town had a great, you know, cherry harvest, they have their cherry festival. Or they would have, you know, the the focaccia festival in this other town that was nearby, or they would have, and then also, you had the expats, you know, celebrating American Thanksgiving, which was, you know, the, the Romans got a big kick out of. And it, it's always interesting when you have a cultural attachment to a particular um, to a particular practice or a particular rite, so to speak, um, how that almost becomes amplified when you're not at home. You almost sort of cling to those things a little more dearly when you are when you're away from your regular surroundings. So, you know, there I was uh, in Rome a couple different times, just, you know, desperately trying to find cranberries because yeah. that's not a thing over there. Right. And, you, you know, and I, and I, and I was like, what is wrong with me? Why do I, you know, why do I care so much? And uh, you know, another time celebrating with friends in Paris and, mm-hmm. and our, <laughs> you know, we thought we had the tiniest little Turkey. It still wouldn't fit in my friend's little Parisian oven. And, you know, so you have all these kind of humorous mishaps, but it it did all, so going back to your your love of ancient Rome, which I share, uh, it's just interesting to me to look at um, what we have in in common with, with ancient times and also how things have evolved and shifted since ancient times. Now, you mentioned that during the revolution, and other times there have been calls for days of Thanksgiving here. What about 
uh, presidents before. We're going to talk a lot today about Sarah Hell. Before her efforts to establish a Thanksgiving holiday, what presidents had called for national days of Thanksgiving? Oh, a few of them. The first one was George Washington. And um, he he was the first one to, as a president of the United States of America with a you know functioning uh, enacted constitution, he called for a national day of Thanksgiving. And it was the last Thursday of November, which is one of the, the, the inspiration for why uh, Sarah Hale thought that Thanksgiving should always be the last Thursday of, of November. Uh, Sarah Hale, who I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll get to uh, a little bit more, her father actually fought in the Revolutionary War. He was injured during the Revolutionary War. Uh, she had a very strong attachment to um, fighting for the independence of the United States of America, the independence of the colonies. Um, and so that history meant a lot to her. Uh, so George Washington, uh, George Washington was the first. I have um, some information, uh, you know, in the book about how he spent that day. He went to church and then he went and gave some money to the uh, the guys in the local uh, local prison, local jailhouse. Uh, he was in New York at the time. That's where the first uh, capital was after uh, he was. That's where he he spent the initial um, his initial time as president. And, you know, varying presidents in succession, you know, they might proclaim a day of Thanksgiving at a completely different time of year for a completely different reason. John Adams, you know, his version of proclaiming Thanksgiving was a day of fasting and humiliation, which sounds like so much fun, right? I mean, this is- <laughs> Sounds like Adams, it does. <laughs> it actually sounds like a really good time and sounds just like gorging on turkey and stuffing, right? And then you have somebody like Jefferson who comes in and there's a, a wonderful letter that I found in the archives that I cite in the book. Uh, it, it's an exchange between- then President Thomas Jefferson and a member of the clergy who was basically wondering why Jefferson would not proclaim national days of Thanksgiving um, in the in the United States. And Jefferson said, well, they have traditionally been, you know, strongly associated with God and with religion. And I believe very strongly in the separation of church and state. So I'm not going to do that. So you see all of these kind of varying, um, varying approaches to the idea of what a Thanksgiving should be and how it should be proclaimed. And most, I mean, the most common thing, especially in early America, would be the head of a community or a governor or the head of a territory would proclaim Thanksgiving for their jurisdiction. So, you know, the governor of New Hampshire might say Thanksgiving this year is going to be November, whatever. And uh, he'd put it in the paper. And that was when Thanksgiving was going to be in New Hampshire. Connecticut might say something totally different. Um, other communities might have one in the fall and in the spring. So, I mean, it was a little bit all over the map. And which is one of the reasons why, even though it had a very, very long history, it was not codified in the way that we know it today. And Sarah Hale was someone who thought it should be on the same day every year and the whole country should do it at the same time. She, she was an amazing person. I'm glad I, I learned so much about her in your book. Can you tell us just a bit about her life? 
I know she was a pioneer for women in the literary world. And, and then why and when did she start advocating for this annual day of Thanksgiving? So Sarah Josepha Hale is, she's a just a fascinating, fascinating woman. And there are so many, and there are a lot of resources. This is a nonfiction book. There's a, there are a huge number of sources in the back of the book for anyone who wants to look further into um, this history, the history of presidential proclamations. The Miller Center at the University of Virginia has every, you can look up every proclamation, every president ever made on a variety of topics, including Thanksgiving. So, so Sarah Hale was a 19th century woman. She was a, a widowed mother of five with no formal education who went on to become one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful, uh, magazine editors in the country. That in and of itself is pretty astounding. So she grew up in, uh, she grew up in rural New Hampshire. As I said, her, her father had been a, uh, ran an inn, but had fought in the revolutionary war. She was not, um, sent to school in the traditional sense. So she got uh, sort of a hand-me-down education from her brothers, uh, and who, who shared with her very, very freely, but she did grow up in a house with a lot of books. So she read voraciously. Her parents made sure she knew how to read. And she read constantly from a very young age um, and then was able to actually, uh, because of that and because they needed teachers uh, and teaching jobs back then were still, you know, for the most part, um, you know, early 1800s, still mostly for, for men as well. She was able to get a, a job in the local schoolhouse. And she met a wonderful lawyer who was passing through town and it stopped by her father's uh, inn. His name was David Hale. And David and Sarah, they had this wonderful connection around learning. And I, I reading about their relationship, I found really, really inspiring, actually. And I and some of the best information about Sarah Josepha Hale's life came from the books that she edited and the anthology she edited and her um, columns in her magazine. And she would often do sort of a little biographical um, aside or a, a mini biography in the back of some of these books. And she talked about her time with her husband, David, and how they would have study hour together every night. And, you know, from eight to 10, they would sit in their parlor and they would choose a topic. It might be botany, it might be French. And, and they would sit there and read and talk about what they were reading. And Sarah liked to write as well. And David was particularly encouraging with Sarah, not just that she write, but that she actually tried to publish her writing. And so she thought about it. She did a little here. She did a little there. One of the first pieces she ever published, the, the byline was a lady of New Hampshire. And uh, sadly, and as often happened, um, you know, in, in the early 1800s, David uh, died from complications uh, from pneumonia. He was just out making a routine uh, visit as a lawyer, you know, and he was coming back and there was an unexpected cold snap and he got sick and that was it. And she was pregnant at the time uh their 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 child their youngest child was born uh shortly after david had died and there she was and she was she was quick to point out some of her writing you know he was a country lawyer so she was not someone who had a bunch of money she could sit around and live off of she was not someone for whom 
writing was a hobby. Um, she had to figure out a way to make money. She was working in a milliner shop with her sister-in-law for a little while. Um, and she was writing at night, late at night when she wasn't taking care of the kids or working in the hat shop and started sending her stuff around and started getting some notice. And she worked on not just articles, but she wrote a novel called Northwood that was published in 1827. And the, the novel in which she dedicates almost an entire chapter to, to Thanksgiving, the, the, the novel got enough positive attention that uh, the publisher of a ladies magazine was starting a new venture and asked if she would be the editor and off, off she went, there was her career. And so she, she worked for a variety of magazines, but the bulk of her life she spent working uh, with a publisher named Louis Godet. And he was, um, the, the title of the magazine changed over the years. It was, you know, Ladies Magazine, Godey's Ladies Magazine, American Ladies Magazine, all of these sorts of things. But her love of Thanksgiving to come back. So, so that you, you have this woman who already her life is unbelievable. And, you know, you read about her and I think to myself, my God, what have I been doing with my time? <laughs> and she, you know, she just embarks on these ventures and I could, you jump in whenever you want. Cause I'll just go on and on and on about her. And really fascinating. Yeah. It, I mean, her, her fascination with Thanksgiving grew out of her grew out of her childhood in New England. She writes about Thanksgiving in in Northwood and she saw it as a really sort of unifying celebration. And, you know, throughout the 1800s, you know, it, it was becoming very clear that the United States was not going to be very unified for very long. And and so I, you know, I think that her desire for there to be some sort of codified ceremony, some sort of national celebration that people might be able to kind of rally around together year after year, took on more import. But she loved, I mean, you read her descriptions of Thanksgiving in Northwood and in her magazine. And I mean, she's, you know, she was Martha Stewart before Martha Stewart. <laughs> you know, she yeah. was, she was unbelievable. And Denise, we can't go, I mean, we have to say, what was Sarah's most popular writing poem, right? Oh my goodness! Of course, that's right. And that you know, know. It's so there's so much to there's so much to say about her. So she was not only publishing other people's work in her magazine, and we can get to some of those folks too. But she was putting together anthologies of women's writing. She was writing, uh, editing other people's magazines when they were. Um, uh, too busy to do so, or when they lost their jobs. And, um, but she also wrote about some of her experiences, uh, in addition to this massive novel, which was also published, uh, in England, not just in America. She wrote, uh, about her experiences as a, as a school, a school teacher in New Hampshire. And one of the little poems that she wrote was something titled Mary's Lamb, which we have come to know as Mary had a little lamb. Yeah, right. Yeah. And it is that that has actually had some pretty good staying power. That was yeah. Really yeah, and, but what's funny is, you know, just to go sort of inside the writing and publishing process, 
one of the what's what was amazing you know people are like what was what are some interesting things that you found out and you know when people ask you that question i think the they're sort of anticipating you're going to say something like really deep or really scandalous and one of the things that fascinated me was mary's lamb is a really really long long <laughs> really long poem wow it's so long and um and in the end it's really about kindness which i thought was so love it's not just about a lamb following a kid to school it's really about kindness and which says a lot about her and her nature and so when we were editing you know we had this discussion do we put do we put the whole thing in there do we put this in time and we all kind of agreed absolutely we do because how many people know a that she's responsible for that and b how long it is and you know the kind of the breadth of that particular poem but her you know sarah hale's you know interest in in kindness and gratitude and coming together is you know she she lived that in her in her life as well i mean she was constantly um you know spearheading efforts to raise money for for orphans, for the families of sailors who had been lost at sea. She had lost a brother at sea. It was, you know, something very close to her heart, for books, for libraries. Anyway, so she she was constantly, you know, making efforts to improve other people's lives when she had plenty to do on her own. Uh, But she still found the time and the energy to not only do things herself, but to rally other individuals to various causes. So accomplished and makes me feel extraordinarily lazy. I must admit. Right, so, I know it's <laughs> unbelievable. I'm not going to complain anymore that I'm that I'm busy. Um, so Sarah, <laughs> Sarah, Sarah begins these efforts. She she tries on a national level with presidents to get traction. She doesn't really get traction until President Lincoln in 1863. She wrote to him. He responded quickly with a proclamation calling for a day of Thanksgiving. Why Why do you believe Lincoln was so open to her idea? That's a you know, it's it's one of those questions that I've asked myself uh, many times, and all I can offer is, you know, whatever my particular theory or thoughts would be. So she was constantly, she was constantly writing um, as editor from the editor's desk, the editress, as she called herself, uh, in the in the ladies' magazine. She would she would write essentially they were like op-eds um, talking about how important it would be to have a national holiday like this. She wrote letters, not just to presidents. She had started out, you know, writing heads of territories and writing ambassadors uh, who were representing the United States and other parts of the world. She was writing governors saying, let's all do this on the same day. And every year, so, like more people would would kind of get on the bandwagon. But what she really, really wanted was a proclamation coming from the White House saying, this is the day the United States is going to celebrate Thanksgiving, all of us together as one. And to me, so, you know, it's 1863. The nation is about as divided as it could be. So why do President Lincoln and and, uh, William Seward, who was his right-hand man, you know, why, why does President Lincoln agree to get on the bandwagon with this. And I think they're, in a way, Lincoln and Hale, they both wanted the union to stay together. The one, the one thing they did not want was the union to split apart uh, for whatever reason. They both had different reasons. They both had different priorities. And 
to me, for Lincoln, that seemed like a, it, it was probably a, an effort that wasn't too hard to make. Presidents in the past had declared Thanksgivings for the entire country. It is. It was not something that was out. It, to me, it was low hang. It was low hanging fruit, and I'm frankly surprised other people didn't do it before. It was. It was not like they were creating some crazy new tradition. It's not as though they were asking people to to do things they hadn't perhaps done before in the past. They were. You know, the proclamation was simply saying, "We're all going to do this. It's all going to be on this day." you know, there's, there's a, there's a tradition here. And so, you know, it's a short of, because I write nonfiction, right? I mean, short of Lincoln saying, I decided this was a good idea because all I can do is offer why I think he thought it was a good idea. So that, 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 yeah. And to me, just, you know, why, why not, you know? So how did people in the North and South respond when he did that in 1863? Oh my goodness. It varied. I mean, it varied widely. It depends. I mean, there were plenty, there were, and I, one of the really fun things, one of the things I love about writing history is digging into old newspapers. And so you can find articles that are, you know, yay, let's go, let's do this. And then you can find articles, um, certainly some in the South that just said, who does this guy think he is? We're not, we're not on board with this. And there was even a there was even an article out of London that said what what could he possibly think this that country has to be thankful for? So not only what were people weighing in in North America, they were weighing in from across the pond as well. And which of course makes makes perfect sense because it was such um a trying uh, divisive time. And even those who chose to celebrate had, you know, were facing difficulties about how they were able to do that. And one of the more interesting aspects of, of looking at that, that 1863 Thanksgiving and the, um, and 1864, I mean, the, the, the Thanksgivings that took place during the war in particular was, you know, looking at, these, you know, little different little celebrations that happened in different corners of, you know, of the country and, and, and overseas. Um, I, I came across a dispatch from a Thanksgiving uh, toast and celebration that took place in Germany. And, you know, there were celebrations that took place uh, in the field, you know, with, among soldiers, and there were Thanksgiving Day games and contests, um, and there, you know, there were comments uh, in newspapers from, you know, conf- Confederate forces acknowledging that they weren't celebrating, but they, you know, sort of it was a quiet day. You know, the enemy is celebrating Thanksgiving, so like everybody just sort of, you know, this one particular dispatch from a soldier basically you know, it sounded like they just decided to kind of, you know, not take the day off from fighting, but they (laughs) sort of acknowledged that, you know, there was this other observance going on. And, and, you know, it might be a good time now to talk about how one of the more interesting aspects of how we, they, how Americans came to understand Thanksgiving culturally was through was through art and through 
illustration and, you know, cultural, uh, cultural traditions are, are comprised of so many different, so many different things. And, you know, Thomas Nast, uh, the cartoonist and illustrator, Thomas Nast, uh, who many consider to be, you know, the sort of the, the father of the, um, political cartoon, he drew, he had, he illustrated spectacular, um, images that were in newspapers, uh, around not just Thanksgiving, but certainly about the Thanksgiving of 1863, the Thanksgiving of 1864 and other events. And this of course is, you know, before there was photography in newspapers. So an illustrator like Thomas Nast would actually go out into the field and sketch what he would see that was going on, uh, in the war. And, but he also did these tremendous, uh, giant, like four or five, six panel illustrations of, uh, Thanksgiving in 1863, Thanksgiving in 1864 and so on. And depicting, you know, guys sitting around, you know, outside a tent, eating Thanksgiving dinner together, people at sea, uh, all sorts of things. And it was really interesting, I thought, to see how the idea of the, of this national day of thanks, how it captured the imagination of someone like Thomas Nast, an illustrator as well, and how that enabled an artist to share this kind of gratitude celebration with the general public in a completely different way. And this is one of the reasons it became so quickly an important part of our culture. I know after Lincoln, presidents continued to do the annual proclamation, but as you show, it wasn't until 1941 that Congress passed the legislation to make Thanksgiving, an official annual holiday. What what finally led to it happening in 1941? You know, there are, it happened, the the establishment, what's what's interesting is Sarah Hale, so she gets Lincoln to do this national proclamation. And then as long as she's alive, she keeps, you know, writing letters to presidents saying, let's do this again, let's do this again, because, you know, Grant could have decided not to, you know, down the road, you know, other people could have decided not to. But she knew like if every single president kept doing it and kept doing it at the same time, it would start to just become it, it would it would become an annual holiday, which is what she wanted. She wanted another annual holiday. But she wrote and she said what this really needs is a congressional act. And she knew that it would always be subject to uh, governors following suit uh, with whatever day the president chose, although the president always seemed to choose the same day, until FDR, until uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. In the late 30s, he had been, um, he had been pressured by various uh, organizations to push Thanksgiving back not the last Thursday of the month, but the next to last when Thanksgiving fell on the last day of the month, because shopping had become more increasingly associated, Christmas shopping more increasingly associated with the holiday and they wanted a longer shopping season. And, you know, (laughs) there was was a year that he agreed and the country just didn't know what to do. Football games were having problems, you know, holidays were, were thrown into disarray. 
you know, pretty much in general, and I go into a lot of detail about this in the book, you know, half the country says, well, we're still having Thanksgiving on the last Thursday. And the other half says, well, we'll have it on the Thursday. The president said we're going to have it on. And there were a couple states that said, heck, we'll have both. You know, why not? I like that. Let's, just, let's just do this. And it was short. It was shortly after that. That was um, that was the late 30s. It was shortly after that, that the United States ends up in in World War II. Uh, the bombing of Pearl Harbor takes place. And the, that uh, this was right on the heels of some of that, you know, kerfuffle over which day Thanksgiving should be on. And I, I just sort of feel like the time, you know, the time was right. It finally went through. Um, a resolution was was put through and the fourth Thursday of the month was agreed upon. And and this really, to, to me, having this happen right after, you know, Pearl Harbor, I thought that was so interesting because, you know, you have in 1863, you have, you're in the, you know, you're in the Civil War and you have what is, what we know as the Thanksgiving tradition established in the middle of the Civil War. And then you have it made a, Congressional, uh, congressionally established holiday during World War II. So there's this kind of lovely symmetry to saying things do not look really great right now. Things are horrible, but coming together is still important. Saying thank you is still important. Gratitude is still important. You know, and and FDR took all that flack for pushing it back a week and now Christmas shopping begins and yeah. sometime late in August, pretty much. So <laughs> I know. Right. And, but you know, it's some of the, the letters that I found in the book that people wrote to the president about changing the day of Thanksgiving, I thought were just hilarious. So it's, it's, it's one of my favorite parts of the book, reading the letters that people wrote to Roosevelt about, about switching the, the day, the cele- days of Thanksgiving would be celebrated. So Denise, the you know the standard Thanksgiving POTUS photo op has become the pardoning of the turkey. Which POTUS yeah. was the first one to do this? When did it start? Uh, started with Lincoln. So um, Lincoln was actually gifted. Well, it goes back. I mean, it goes back to that. It wasn't an annual event, but it goes back to Lincoln had been gifted a turkey. <laughs> There were, and there, there there are books of letters written to Lincoln too, and they're like, "I sent you this particular turkey from Rhode Island, and how great this turkey was, and all these sorts of things." So he gets gifted a turkey, uh, and the turkey was destined for a hol- was destined for Christmas dinner, and um, his son Tad developed a real liking for this turkey, named the turkey, would walk around the grounds with the turkey, and basically said, "Please don't." please don't eat my new friend. And um, (laughs) so Lincoln actually wrote, I mean, he actually wrote out, you know, a, 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 a wrote out a pardon, a a state of execution. What was, what had become Tad's pet Turkey. So um, that is very, which it's, it's very sweet and it's very interesting, but it's, it's, I think it's very interesting that actually that today gets so much more attention than, Well, I mean, when was the last time I tell people when I talk about this book, when I talk about we gather together, you know, people are like, there's a thanks, there's a Thanksgiving. Do they still do Thanksgiving proclamations? I'm like, every year, every single year <laughs> they come out. But I mean, they used to be, you know, like in the newspaper and, you know, all this sort of stuff. And now they're, um, 
you know, it, it's it, it not the same sort of not the same sort of fanfare for the for the proclamation itself. Now, Denise, I think you and we gather together with some really good thoughts on why gratitude is important. So maybe we could end today. Why do you believe that's true, even in times of great difficulty or especially in times of great difficulty, perhaps? Gratitude aspect of we gather together to me is the linchpin of the entire book. So I had, you know, as a writer, I, I keep all kinds of files about stories I find interesting or people I find interesting, or isn't this curious? And maybe I want to write about this. And, you know, you revisit them and you're always asking yourself, uh, if you were trained in journalism as I was, you know, is this really a story? And if it's a story, is it is it really, you know, is it a, is it an article? Is it a magazine feature or is it really a book? And I'd found Sarah Hale fascinating for a while, but I did not want to write, I don't really write biographies. So I didn't want to write a biography of her and she's a big chunk of the, of the middle of the book, but then there's so much more in the book um, that takes place at other times in the 20th and 21st century. And of course, um, even before uh, the colonies. So I, I I kind of put that aside. And then I, I was really fascinated by the fact that so much of this happened during the Civil War because we were having a, a holiday that was focused on coming together and unifying seemed just that, that that started to take root in the Civil War when everything was the opposite of that also seemed really interesting to me. But I didn't want the whole book to be about the Civil War. And then I was reading about, and told, not for research, just, you know, as a just somebody who likes to read about all of this research, especially in like the last 10, 20 years, neurological research, psychological research that has been done into the importance of uh, the power of gratitude. And you'll hear people talking about having a gratitude journal or writing down three mm-hmm. things you're thankful mm-hmm. for every day, things of that nature. But there is actually a growing, a very large and a growing body of of science supporting the fact that human animals and the human brain, if it can find a way to be thankful and grateful for things, even thinking them, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to write them, although that's wonderful. Holding on to those feelings has measurable results mentally, mm-hmm. physically, like blood pressure. I mean, all, yeah. all these sorts of things. It's it's astounding the amount of, of research and the studies they've done. And I talk about them uh, towards the end of the book. And one of the, uh, one of the scientists that I, um, I was reading about, they were, they were talking about how the ability to do that especially when things are going very horribly can really improve uh, resilience and the ability for people to, to, to bounce back and, and sur- not just survive, but uh, manage to thrive and get through really, really difficult times. And, you know, the book gets into Thanksgiving during the Spanish flu, uh, you know, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. when I wrote it, it was pre-pandemic. When I was yeah. editing, mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this this reads a lot differently now mm-hmm. sitting here mm-hmm. in the midst of uh, COVID. You know, and you can read about people trying to find, you know, things to for which to be thankful when it seems like there's just so, so little to be thankful for and how it doesn't, it it doesn't have to be some sort of, and it's not some sort of Pollyanna exercise that you can truly 
find things to to be grateful for and hold on to those there are a, there are a lot of neuroscientists who will show you data that say that is that is a that is not only a good thing to do because it feels good but you are actually improving uh, your mental physical and emotional health and I just thought I mean at the essence of all this is, is gratitude and thankfulness. And that's, it seemed like a nice, simple, unifying concept on which to, to wrap up the book. Yeah. Well, it really is an interesting, fascinating book. We are grateful for you, Denise. Thank you so much <laughs> for joining us on American POTUS. Yeah, thanks for being here. Well, well thank you. Thank you seems to be an appropriate phrase. <laughs> 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 thanks for listening to this episode of the American POTUS podcast. We'd like to thank author Denise Kiernan for joining us on this episode about the presidential history of Thanksgiving. More information on her book, We Gather Together, can be found on AmericanPOTUS.com. If you have questions on this episode or ideas for future topics, you can easily send us a note on AmericanPOTUS.com, Facebook, or Twitter. We would also appreciate you taking the time to provide a positive rating and review on the player you're listening to right now. And if you're new to American POTUS, please check out the 60-plus episodes that are available in the playlist, covering the presidents and the presidency from the very beginning. Graphic design for American POTUS is by The Thought Bureau, an original music score by Jonathan Clark Music. We close with a portion of Abe Lincoln's Thanksgiving Day proclamation, quote, the year that is drawing to its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. <laughs>